Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org forward slash resources. just really encouraged by what the Lord is doing and up to. We had a, a circumstance on uh, Thursday. You know, we have our uh, food pantry, our House of Mercy food pantry. I think it was like 60 some odd families, 70, I can't keep track, Thursday. But one of the things, I don't know if the lady's here, um, I, I want to just bless her, but she was driving by and we pray this way, Lord, would you put a magnet on it and draw them in? And, and uh, you know, she was driving by, she was headed to a fast food place and she said, go there, the Lord will help you. They'll, they'll help you. And she came in, and she wasn't looking for food, and she, and I won't glorify, but she had a really difficult thing happen to her about a year ago, and uh, she just came in and really needed prayer. And she hooked up in front of Miss Addie and Marvin, <laughs> and she walked out of there just uh, blessed. And th- those are answers to prayer that our hearts just like, that's it, God. We want to be a place where it's a hospital, uh, it's a place where people can come in broken and, and receive. It's a schoolhouse where people get taught. We get instructed in the ways of the Lord. We know the Holy Spirit's the teacher. It's also family. You, you need to, what did Jesus say? Who are my brothers and sisters? When he answered, they, they said, your mom and brothers are outside. Of course, they weren't in a good place. They were mocking him at the time. And Jesus said, who, who are my brothers and sisters? He goes, those who do the will of the Father. So we want to be a house family where people can come and be real. Um, you're going you're gonna to fight sometimes, like brothers and sisters. You ever fight with a brother or sister? Ever have a spousal spat the last day or so? You know, Well, uh, family's going to spat. It's going to happen. And uh, it's going to force you. You can't walk away from your family. You shouldn't. And so, anyway, it's also going to be a place where it's a place of worship. Experience this morning where I was talking to someone recently said, you know, I've not experienced this kind of worship where you come in and there's this presence. This person was telling me, he says, I've never been in a place where, you know, I've seen altar calls, you had to encourage people in, but you don't have to do that here. I said, isn't that great? And I was like, yeah. And so it's a place of worship, it's a place of family, it's a house, it's a hospital, but it's also a place where we come and we can be real with Jesus. Amen? So praise God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning that your presence Holy Spirit is welcome here, and we know that you're the teacher, so would you equip, and would you take the words, and would you pierce our hearts, as we thank you for what you did when you entered Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, and it was the public declaration, it was the profound declaration that the king is coming, and we thank you that you did an inbreaking of kingdom. A week later, you hung on a cross. But that son, that day, you were declared the one who was coming in the name of the Lord. And we want to be eagerly waiting for your presence and your return. So take this morning's insight and revelation, Lord, and use it for your purposes so that your people and their families would be encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you haven't received a copy of the outline, I'd like you to just raise your hand. We'll get some to you. Anybody need a couple outlines? Whoa, okay. Um, they're sitting, when you come in in the morning, I know some people go to the cafe and you have other things going. Uh, they're usually sitting right on the, we have the children check in on the, ri- on the right of mine and to the left will be the, the outlines. And so um, in order to get us on the same page, let me ask you a, a question, kind of ask you to think about this a moment. I'd like you to think about a moment in time in your life, just raise your hand, here come the outlines. I'd like you to think for a moment in your life when you knew that God had just stepped in. There's probably more than one. If, you're, if you really think about, it may be one in that tragedy or maybe in that place of great joy where you just knew God did this or God influenced the circumstances. When you think of those moments when he, when he came in, he either brought you assistance, he brought help, answered prayer, revealed himself. He does that corporately like he did in Jerusalem on that 
morning when he rode in on a donkey colt, but he also does it individually. And when you look back, the question is, why does he do that? Why does he break in? I've titled the message this morning, The Moments in Your Life When the Kingdom Breaks In. So why would God break in? Anybody got a thought? Because he can. That's, that's good. He wants to. Why would he want to come in? A point in time. Eternal life. Ah, that, that's what I was looking for. Cliff, come on, man. That's good. It's that place where when he breaks in, there's all this revelation and, and encouragement and hope. But the end point of the break-in is that you would know him. If you look at the scripture at the top of your outline there, I've, this just jumped off the page. In 1 John 5.13 that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Luke 19.10 says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. That's the reason he breaks in. So let's just take a moment. Think of some of those break-in moments. Just thank him. You know, a person with an experience can never be talked out of someone with knowledge <laughs> that says that didn't happen or I don't believe that. Well, I don't care what you believe. I know what happened. I was there. <laughs> I saw it. Uh, you know, when, when, when the white eye goes brown and the blind see, you can't tell me I didn't see it. When the tumor this big, pray, my friend Phil, we're in Brazil and he lays his hand on and it disappears. You can't tell me it didn't happen. I saw it. I know it. I don't care what your theology is. I don't care that you don't believe there's no healing today. I saw it. Now, why would he break in in those moments? Why would the demonized who are so tormented, who've come, and even the warlock who's come to kill me and who's tormented my team, when the Holy Spirit breaks in and he sets free the people that are there? You can't tell me I didn't see that. You can't tell me that the Son of God, whose revealed name has set that person free. You can't tell me that. I saw it. I don't care what your theology, God doesn't deliver today. I saw it. That's the truth. And when he inbreaks, he inbreaks. Why? Why would he do that? Because he loves you. I heard that. Because he wants you to have eternal life. That you would know, that you would know, that you would know who he is. And so when John the Revelator in John 5, I love this. Let's turn there. In 1 John, all the way to the back, John is 90 years old. He's the only surviving apostle, a disciple at that moment. The church is in the transition phase. John has experienced things that very few probably living at that point, he had seen the Messiah there, 1 John chapter 1, and look, look at verse 1, recognizing we proclaim, this is John speaking, 1 John 1, verse 1, we proclaim that the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen, we saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This is the one who is life itself and was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify 
and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you have had fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. We write you these things that you may fully share our joy. Man. Whew. John was an eyewitness. You know, you think of his inbreaking moments. You know, I wonder if he thought about he was a fisherman, him and his brother James John and the sons of Zebedee, they were called. That was the mom who said, I'd like my son to sit at the left and right hand. She says, Can you drink this cup? Oh, yeah, his mom said, We can drink the, yeah, you will. Remember, James was one of the first martyred disciples, was the first martyred disciple. And when you think about John, when Peter, after Peter had denied Christ and he came and asked Jesus later, what about John? What, what, what do you say about him? <laughs> when Jesus revealed there would be a time when you, Peter, when you're old, right now you go wherever you want, but when you're older, they're going to take you where you don't want to go. And then he revealed to him you'd be crucified in a way. It turns out he was crucified upside down. He revealed, so what about him? He goes, what is that to you? If he wants to live longer, if I want him to live, he'll live longer. In fact, again, he was prophesying, believed that John would be the one who would not be martyred. He would live and die at an old age to lead the church. I wonder if he thought about that moment. I also wonder if he thought about the time on the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter, James, and John are taken up into the high place of the mountain and the Father comes and says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And then we see the Trinity, the place of God. I wonder if he wondered if that was one of the eyewitnesses, but probably the one that marked an inbreaking moment in his life was after his death and his resurrection before the ascension. And he came into room. And Thomas, the doubter who hadn't been there, said, until I touch him or see it, I'm, you know, i got to see the scars in his side and his hand. I'm not believing that. And John was there. He was there for that one. He was there for the first revealing. When he walked through the wall and he came and said, I'm here, it is I. It's pretty hard to deny that the son of the living God who was dead is now alive. I am he that was dead and I am now alive. You couldn't tell John that Jesus was not the Christ. You couldn't tell him. And so many of us, all of us, if we really take account, and I think that's wise for us, when I go back, you know, we just finished our mission trip in Nepal and India, and I continue to get these amazing testimonies coming in. When I go back and I, I don't know, 28 trips, I, I can't track them in, but I have, I have a journal of every day of every mission trip and who was there and what occurred. And I go back now from 2001 and I read those and I break down and I cry because I remember. You did that. I forgot that, Lord. Oh, that's who was praying. Oh, whoa, that little girl, you touched her right there and she gave her life to Christ. Those are the moments of inbreaking that God has given to us as precious moments. In fact, they're probably significantly important to us. Well, I want to introduce my mom. A few weeks ago, we, and I just encourage you, if you're free ever on uh, Wednesday mornings from 10 to 11.30, come to our prayer room. There's two mandatory meetings I have with my staff. One is our staff meeting. We do the administration of the church and on Tuesday mornings. Wednesday is we set our side, our time, the first half hour or so, and we just, I, I got to give Shara Frazier just a lot of kudos I asked her, Miss Nancy served there for years as our intercessor lead. And uh, she turned it over to Cher a few months ago, and Cher prayed it through. And, you know, there's this thing in artillery where you lob an artillery shell in, and you hope it hits its target. That's intercession. But what just took place in Syria when you drop it within a few inches of the GPS coordinates, that's pinpointed prayer. And we're in a place now, in that Wednesday morning meeting, we come in, the first half hour is worship. Get your heart right because life happens. And then we take this time of communion and we ask the Lord to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then we incline our ear. Come in, 
What have you been hearing this morning? What have you heard this week? What scripture have you had? I woke up this morning. I had this dream, and we put it on the whiteboard, and the Lord puts a mosaic, and he puts a track together. It's the trail markers. And we go up the mountain of God, and we hear him, and we ask him to share his voice with us. It's a precious, precious moment for me where we come and we commune with the living God and say, God, Papa, what do you want to do? What, what is it that's on your heart? How, how should we pray for Israel? How should we pray for the United States? How should we pray for our families? Who is it that you right now put in our hearts that's in the hospital? What is it, God, that you want to do? Well, two weeks ago, my mom volunteers for the communion. They pass it around and you put your name. And mom got up and she'd been preparing this. And she spent some time just highlighting what I would call, my, my words, moments in her life where God in broke in. She's been 82 years a Christian. She's 90 years old. So I freaked her out. I said, Mom, you got to share that <laughs> with the congregation. And she's been like, for the last few days, like, oh, my, am I going to do it right? You're going to do fine, Mom. And uh, I'd like to just intro her. Some of you who don't know my mom, I've already told you, she's 90 years young. She's not had a very easy life. Raising me was one of them, but, but she really is extraordinary. I know that's biased, but she really is, and I want to honor her. She never stops believing, and she never stops pressing in to know him more. She's always after more. I mean, my wife and I, she'll call me in the morning. She's, wow, did, I got a scripture for you this morning. I'm like, Mom, I just woke up. <laughs> but, no, you got, I got to share this. You know? and my wife and I look and say, wow, it's like. She's always asking to help others. This week at 90, she still does ministry in the prison, in jail. And her and Pastor Willie led two people to the Lord this week in the jail. One in our Spanish group and one in our English group. So, My mom never really, I don't steal her thunder, but my mom never really knew the love of her father growing up. I won't. Her husband went off to war early in their marriage. In fact, I was born at the Marine Corps base just before he left. I was named after a warrior who died, Thomas McVeigh. He was killed in the Korean conflict. He was my, one of my dad's best friends. So to raise, she went and lived with my grandmother while dad went off to war. Four sons. Many of you knew my brother Jeff. He died a few months ago. Jeff was my second brother. I'm the oldest, and he had Down syndrome. But I saw my mom care for him and my father care for him for 62 years. Through all the trials and tribulations, you have a special needs child, which I do, Jenny and I do. And I also had the privilege of seeing my brother through all the hardships and trials of that, the rejection, the disappointments, the, the heartbreak of a father for his child. But I also saw the blessings. I saw my dad. He died of Mercer infection when he was 82 years old. But he spent three weeks in hospice, and one of the break-in moments of my life was a very, very difficult time as that staph infection took over his entire body, and they wanted to amputate every part of his limbs. And he finally said, now the old Marine Corps lieutenant colonel in him said, nah, we ain't going to do that. But I had the privilege of doing prayer ministry on him in hospice. Every day my mom would come and hold his hands. She was given the night, a dream. Someone called me, actually. A woman in our congregation told me the day that my father was going to go to a wedding feast. Didn't know my father was in the hospital or in the hospice. Knew the exact day that my dad was going to be with the Lord. He was dressed in a tuxedo going to a wedding feast. That night, my mother stayed in there and held my father's hand while he went to be with the Lord. So I'm forever grateful for those break-ins, but she's still going, and I've asked her to take a few minutes, and I think share for us, I love when the saints who have walked this out before us, I was thinking about this yesterday, Jean Weiss, many of you may have known her, she was a lady here who was here for years and years and years, went to be with the Lord a few years ago, and again, the testimony of the strength of the faith of those who go before us, and there's many more that are here that encourage us young folk. So, Mom, would you all stand? I'd like to welcome my mom and ask her to come and share.
you want to hold this or you want me to hold it? You're fine. Well, we've all been on a journey. When I look at that um, painting over there, it's been a long journey, 82 years. And I want to just tell you some of the highlights of how we got there, how I've gotten to where I am today. And help me, Lord, that I do not forget something important and I say something too much. Uh, first of all, I, 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 as Tom said, uh, our house was kind of dysfunctional growing up. I was very happy till age six. Something was happening in the family. My mother was raising her, uh, providing a home for my aunt and her sister, who was mentally ill. And we were warned as kids not to buy it, never get her angry because she could become violent. So there was a lot of fear in my house, and there was also a lot of dysfunction going on between my mom and dad. Uh, so at age eight, the Lord came into my bedroom, tapped me on the shoulder, and I turned around and saw his hand. I was going to be Hold it up, Mom. And he called me to him, and I've always loved him ever since that moment. And uh, the next time... Um, at age 12, I was uh, sleigh riding on a hill and uh, looking up at the stars. It was so beautiful, cold, and crisp. And, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, you will be here to see me return. So that has been an amazing statement. The next time I heard his voice, which was he was speaking to me, you know, he tells us, you have the ears to hear, hear. But that, there was no teaching at all anywhere, but God was doing it. And uh, I was going into my first job after high school, and I was traveling on a, an elevated train to get, to get down to the World Trade Center where I worked. And I looked down, and I saw, I guess, a vision, and it was um, many, many of the big animals, the giraffes and everything. They were all struggling, and they were in, underneath a net, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, all creation is waiting for the manifestation of sons. And we are working toward that. The manifestations of sons is where we big just like Jesus. Anyway, the next thing I wanted to tell you was I was in a, in a uh, Presbyterian church and, and Methodist church, and they didn't ever talk about the Holy Spirit. But in 1980, 1960, God began to sovereignly pour out the Holy Spirit. And it was everywhere. Everybody was being touched. The Catholic Church, the, the Lutheran Church, everybody where I was living. So um, my, my pastor at that time was a new pastor who came. He was from England, and he was a, a circuit preacher in the islands. And he was so hungry for more. So when the Holy Spirit was pouring out, we had a lay witness mission. And uh, the people from different states were invited to come for the weekend. And they gave testimonies of what God was doing. And I said, Lord, I love you, but I want what they have. So after that, there was a, a, an episode where I just got off by myself. I was in a Pentecostal study. It, that opened up right after that. And they wanted to lay hands on me. And I said, no, I don't think so. I don't want to get anybody else's spirit. But I said, Lord, it's between you and me. And sure enough, he, he struck my shoulder, and I fell to my knees, and his gift from the Father came to me. And I spoke in the foreign language. Or in his language, I should say. Then I was concerned about, um, at that point, I wasn't really into the word. But the Lord told me, study my word, or you will not know my promises. So I really began to read the word seriously. And I read, have read the Bible three times in different translations. But I thought, now, John 3.3 3 says, you must be born again. But John 3.5 was what troubled me. You must be born of water and the spirit, or you cannot enter. And, I, of course, there was no opportunity for that. My husband and I were out for breakfast, and there was a little table where they had some used books. And I was drawn to pick up a book called I Dared to Call Him Father. 
and it was uh, written by a, a wealthy um, Hindu woman who was in a caste system, and so she had no contact with the lower class, but she had a Christian chauffeur, and he gave her a Bible, and she wrote in this book that she had no place to get it, so she baptized herself in the bathtub, and I thought, well, I don't have an opportunity anywhere either, so let me do the same thing. So I baptized myself. <laughs> this is embarrassing, but I did. I baptized myself <laughs> in the tub. <laughs> but when I, when I came up, I said, gee, Lord, is this acceptable to you? <laughs> and he gave me Romans 8, walk in newness of life. You know, we're buried in baptism with him, and we're raised to the new life. So that was very, very important to me. Let me think where, what was next. In my, I told you about the Holy Spirit. Now that I've told you about the Holy, uh, the, the gift, gift of this baptism, we were here at um, a church here when I came here in 2006, and Randy, Clark, uh, Randy uh, Larry Randolph, the prophet, was here, and he called me out, and I, I got a confirmation about that first word that was spoken. He said, you're being called as a mother in Israel and an Anna, the prophetess. Remember, Simeon was not allowed to die. Anna came in at the time they were presenting Jesus as a baby. And Anna, the prophetess, was the one I had the word given to me. So I don't know what all this means, but it, we're still on the journey. And let me see. One, at one point here in the church, as we said, I've had trouble relating to the father because of my father, who he was a good man, and he was a gospel singer. He was on radio, and all favorite hymns would be sent to him. So, I mean, he was a good man, but there was a lot of things that he never never told me he loved me, never hugged me, never did that. So I was here in this church, and, and God said, took me, Jesus took me by the hand, and he said, I want you to meet my father. And wherever we went, we walked up, and I climbed onto God's lap. And father and child were hugging, and it was not a, not a throne. It was a high chair. So when I figured that out, I figured I, that's where my deficits were. I needed the love of Jesus through my father, and my heavenly father has done that. And let me see. Now the next thing I can tell you... <laughs> about that book, and now I can tell you that um, 1991, God gave me four mandates, and with this, proclaim my word, which I think is being fulfilled in my son, pray for the sick, display my righteousness in your life, and declare my intentions to those I point out to you. I believe that Sarah is fulfilling all that wonderful part of this inheritance in her worship music. And Katie now is being raised up as a prophet. She is right on deck, tie. So God is so wonderful. And then after this, um, we had um, Bob Jones. No, Bob Jones was at another conference that I went to. I'll have to tell you that about. But uh, Larry Randolph, you know, was the one who called me out. And then Bob Jones was at First Fruits one day and I, at a conference, and I went to him. And his wife, Bonnie, called me out of the congregation by saying, who has a license plate, 341, and a, a marine emblem on it? And uh, that was mine. My, my, but you, I said, what does this all mean? But 341, if you add it together, is eight. That's new beginnings. So I took that as a new beginning. And right after that, the Lord began to give me some very strange words that I didn't know, like uh, interbezo, uh, proclivity, profundity, abstruse. These were words I had to go find out. What, man, what does this all mean? Intercession, intermezzo is very important because I think we're in an intermezzo period right now. If you've studied music, intermezzo is a small movement between two symphonies. And I look at it like the Old Testament, the four Gospels, 
the New Testament. That's that kind of, and then he told me there's only so much sand in an hourglass. He's told me that I'm in his finishing school, <laughs> a couple of good words, and um, many, many other words. But then we're going to get back to where um, Jeff, Jeff was born. Jeff left us in October, and uh, he had been my buddy for a long time after Al had died. And um, one morning, I, I call it my holy hour, when you're starting to wake up. And I have a dear friend who is a Catholic. She has a holy hour at 3 o'clock. But at between 4.30, 5.30, maybe sometimes 3.30, that's my holy hour. So during my holy hour after Jeff died, I said to the Lord, how's my Jeff? And this is how he spoke back to me. He said, oh, he made the transfer. Now, I would never think of it as a transfer. I know it as a graduation and all the stuff they say. But he made the transfer, and he's enjoying his new body, and he's full of joy. So that gave me great, great peace. So then I was really emboldened, and I said, well, how about my husband? And he said, oh, they're together, just in that tone of voice. Oh, they're together. <laughs> so I had great nerve then and I said well how about my husband and he said he's a warrior in training figure that out God says he's coming back with God's mighty army so I don't know how that all fits but and I've probably gone over time so God's speaking and uh, we're listening we have ears to hear intermezzo that get it, getting back to that, I believe intermezzo period is in this transition we're in right now. We're finishing the end of the church age. We are now in a little bit of preparation. God is separating, preparing, getting his people in place, and then the kingdom age. Now remember God, uh, Jesus' prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And I think... The king is coming. Good job, Mama. Did I tell you that was my mom? <laughs> yeah. Praise God. You know, just uh, having the experience of growing up with her, of course, you know, I didn't she says I was saved sooner, but <laughs> I, I didn't really feel the revelation of salvation uh, in reality until after I was 22 years old when Sarah, who's now uh, probably fulfilling that worship side of grandpa, um, I didn't really know my mom's dad very well at all. I, I think I met him once or twice, I don't really recall. And I never met, um, or I don't recall, her mom passed away when I was just a baby, there's a picture of her holding me. So I didn't really know my mom's parents. But with him, um, granddad, being on the gospel hour, Sarah's now has that desire. So you look at all the things that God does. But, you know, growing up with, with my mom was actually, sorry, mom, but it was annoying. In the, when she was going through that 60s and all that stuff of, revelation of kingdom and Holy Spirit led and I'm getting baptized in the Holy Ghost and doing and out like mom really stop she needed somebody and of course my dad was struggling a lot with with the alcoholism and doing his thing and so I, I grew up in this betwixt in between um, but there were these in-breaking moments one that really comes to mind I think it was actually before my dad got saved right around that time they were living in Virginia they had retired outside of Lake Mon in uh, Lake Monticello, outside of Charlottesville, Virginia. And my dad, I, I specifically remember this point. He had, he was very frugal, and praise God, he prepared for my, for my mom. Uh, he lost his prescription glasses, and they were I don't know three hundred dollars, and and uh, it, it just annoyed you know you can imagine Lieutenant Colonel language around some of that, and uh, I remember he he was out in his car, and they had mulch in their front yard and to the front step, and he thought he lost his glasses between there and there. So he's searching and searching and searching and uh, filling in all the, 
frustration with all this stuff for his glass. And, of course, my mom listened to all that ranting and going on. Finally just said to him, well, Al, have you prayed about it? And I said, I can relate, Dad. I got it. I got it. And uh, so she just like, let's pray. Lord, would you show Dad Al where his glasses are? Walks off the front step, and there's the glasses that I'm sure had been somewhere else until the prayer went down, right? So those were the moments if, you know, you're growing up with people that are people of faith, and they have those moments where will frustrate you, but they also bring revelation. And there were those times where you just can't get far enough away from it. And so those in-breaking moments in your life and in our lives, I believe, are really, really precious to him. Now, the closing moments here, let's, let's turn back to the outline. I want to just summarize some things, and then I just want to pull out a couple of scriptures. The moments in our lives when the kingdom breaks in, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. It's interesting, you'll notice that that scripture in Luke 19 happens to be, um, I didn't realize that connection at the time, but let's turn there. If you look at Luke 19, it happens to also be the entry into Jerusalem. So not only is that the revelation of Palm Sunday, but in the first part of Luke 19 is Zacchaeus. And if you know that story, take the time to read it right now. In Luke 19, chapter 1, Jesus is coming into Jericho, and there is a chief tax collector, a short little guy, climbs up in a tree, and you probably know that saying, Zacchaeus, come down, I'm coming to your house today. But the, the rest of the city, the town, knew him as the notorious sinner. Look at verse 7. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down from the tree when Jesus said, I'm coming to your house. He climbs down, but the people were displeased. He's gone to the guest, and the New Living Translation literally means notorious sinner, and they grumbled. You ever have anybody grumble over what's going on in your faith walk? <laughs> anybody know your past, and they would like to remind you after you find the Savior about, you're going to tell me about what? <coughs> The revelation of this is here's the love that Jesus has for the individual, the notorious sinner. And he's not worried about your past. But then the rest of that chapter is the inbreaking of the revelation in Jerusalem of the one who will be the king who comes in the name of the Lord. <clears throat> so when we see this place where Jesus is desiring us to know who he is, let's pick up in that second paragraph in the outline. In this confession of Jesus is the revelation of the reason for his coming. He came to save which was lost. The story of the incarnation or the embodiment of God the Son, Jesus in flesh. The moment in human history when kingdom of God breaks in and reveals a supernatural mystery that would result in the salvation of many. No religion ever existed or now exists that can claim such an event and its accompanying effects on all time. The existence of the Trinity of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What John knew, what John had witnessed, I witnessed, he tried to convey in as clear a language as he could. Through 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, in the book of Revelation, the promise that he's coming back. This was last week's message. If you're not eagerly waiting for his return, then something is off. There has to be a positioning, an expectation. All this stuff is all temporary. Look around. Probably within 50 years, some of you young ones, maybe 100, you're not going to be here. You and I will not be here if he tarries. It's over. It's done. So what are you living for? What are you believing for? What are you placing your time and energy in? That's the reality. Why does he inbreak to our lives? 
because he wants us to get the revelation of what's really important. That's the key of what's going on. So we spend running all over the place, and the Scripture's loaded with, they run all over the place trying to figure it all out and fill our desires in ways that are not necessarily godly. Picking up that third paragraph, God knowingly puts events and agendas in human history, and he puts it on us individually. They're mysteriously beyond reason, so we can't explain or handle them alone without the Holy Spirit's revealing truth. That night, that uh, a couple of days after we're in this prayer meeting, Sarah had been sick. The pastor there, Hell's Angel, Reverend Floyd Baker, Mohawk uh, River Park in Schenectady, New York. I didn't want to be there. Sarah had been sick, intestinal disorder. Doctors can't figure it out. Ginny had gotten saved the week before. I'm saying, oh, no, now I got another Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost roller in my family. She's dealing with her pressure. I, now I had my mother like that. Please, Lord, give me peace. Drags me to the meeting. And this man pulls us out of a crowd and says, God's healing a child of an intestinal disorder right now. Talk about an inbreak. Messed me all up, this nuclear science brain that science is going to heal my daughter, fix us all up, and I can get on with going down what I'm busily doing in my life. No, he had a different course correction. He inbreak that. A is why does the Father send the Holy Spirit? Because he wants to teach us. The Holy Spirit will teach you if you'll position yourself. In fact, doesn't he say in James, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask the Holy Spirit. Let him ask God. So if you've got stuff going on in your life you have no answers for, you don't even like what's going on, you, you don't know how you got to where you got to, on the way to church tomorrow, I just started bawling. I turned on K-Love and on came this song. How did I get here, Lord? How did I get here? It's this place of distraught and pain. And then it's the inbreaking. I said, oh, God, that's, that's a really good sermon you got for today. B, God is able to make all grace abound to you. He's able, don't you? He's able to make all grace abound to you. Having all sufficiency. Man, I love that language. All grace abound. Having all sufficiency in all things that you have abundance in every good work. 2 Corinthians 9. He's just not a God of slack. He's, he's, he's able to do exceedingly and abundantly. Well, if you look at this book from start to finish, number one there, the kingdom breaks in. How about creation? In the beginning, God. I love this. I was watching these. They're, they're spending, I, I forget how many billions, many years behind schedule. They're coming up with a, a telescope to replace, uh, a, uh, a Hubble craft to replace the one that's out there. This one's going to be 100 times more capable. And they just, oh, by the way, said, oh, well, we know now that the Big Bang is real. They're just figuring it out. But, but the book said it in the beginning, God. <laughs> you know, he said, let there be light, and boom, there was, right? Well, they're just figuring it out, and now they can, they can actually mark the planets that are no longer in existence and stars that no longer exist because they passed away, but they now will be able to be seen 100 billion years later. In the beginning, God. How about Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3? He's a murderer. He's a fugitive. He's hiding out on the backside, marries Jethro's daughter in Midian, and he's just taking care of the sheep. And the burning bush happens. He walks over and he says, Lord, so you better take your shoes off. This is holy. But I got to talk to you. Well, who is this? I am that I am. Well, you got an assignment. You're going to go get the children out of Israel. You're going to free the children of Israel. How, how am I going to do that? Who's going to go with me? Uh, and by the way, who should I tell them? Send me. Tell them I am sent you. That'll be enough. Come on. That burning bush. How about your burning bush? Which bush was set on fire so God could say, you better take your shoes off here and I need to talk to you. Come on over here. I love that song that they did. Sarah's been wanting to hear, bring that song. and They brought it this morning. Powerful, right? He wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you. I'm listening. And then that prophetic, when Catherine went into prophetic song and just said, my children, my children, I hear your cries. Come on. 
When you're off the script and the Holy Spirit's at work, I get really, really. When you walk over here and I, I watch Avery dancing under the Holy Spirit. I see Brian, hey, the train's coming, number seven is perfect, you better get ready. And then I watch my grandson, Gabriel, and my, gra my great-granddaughter, Holland, and they're dancing and they're mimicking. I watch Judy over here and she's, she's dancing and she's the older woman, but the young ones are there and they're all mimicking and they're following and there's this worship presence. There's a prophetic movement of art. There's this worship of God in every form. Then I look over there and there's Mary Esther and the kids are watching her. And then we break into this prophetic song. Come on, if we're not tuned to the Holy Spirit, He's moving, He's telling, He's communicating with us. Man, I live for these moments where God just breaks in. It's so precious to us. Lord, let's, I love what Kenny did. Lord, pray for your eyes. Pray for your, I got to see what you're doing, God. I got to see it. Lord, get me out of myself so I can see what you're doing. You know, it's in your difficulties and your trials, usually, number three there, where he seems to break in, at least for me. I, I, I tell everybody, I came in by the two-by-four method. He needed to smack me on the side of the head. I'd heard all, I, I was confirmed in the Methodist church. I never heard certain altar call. I never... And here I am, 22 years old, all that in a bag of chips. And nothing can heal my daughter except the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I give up, Lord. I, I. It's those points where he breaks in and he reveals there is eternal life and there is the name of the Son of God. Number four, he's the incarnation of the Son in the manger, the, the little illegitimate son of Mary. Reveals himself to shepherds and animals. One day he's coming back. He's the king of kings. The lion of the tribe. And he's going to vanquish every, every place the enemy needs to put down. The revealed king who rides in. And the fickleness, the hypocrisy of we even as those who know scripture. One moment we call him king. The next moment we say crucify him. A week later, how does that work? How do we go from all these revelations to the point where we don't stay connected? And this is the scary part for me as a pastor. I see people who once served God. They were on staff. They were in places. And now they're not even serving God anywhere. How is it that we get to this place? How can we be so drawn away by every wind and place? crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, Pentecost, and his second coming. There's only one of those left. <laughs> He's coming back. The train's coming. He, the train is coming. If mom got the word right, she's going to be alive when he comes. There are those that are, I mean, what's going on right now? You just have... I encourage you to read through Ezekiel, nice, easy listening book, but you look at the alignment that happened this week in Syria, the alignment with Persia, Iran, who is in Syria with troops, and the Russian Magog bear, and the place where we, the United States, along with allies like the young lions of Britain and Australia who are also saying yes, that alignment, that World War III could break out at any moment. When you got two destroyers in the Mediterranean, our submarines, I know because I was there, they're en route there. We got both sides sitting there. It could be right on the verge. It, this could all go down in a heartbeat. I'm serious. You need to be ready. I need to be ready. Are you positioned for him eagerly waiting? Now, we don't want that to happen. We pray, but I want to see my children, my grandchildren grow. I want to see that. I want to grow grayer and older and see what they're doing. I want to see what God's going to do with them. But we need to be ready because one day they'll be all right also. When he takes us up, it's going to be all right. So let's take some inventory. Number five, let's take inventory and think about the reality of the kingdom. He said the kingdom is at hand.
maybe through difficulty or disappointment or maybe even the joys. I'm about ready to see a, a grandbaby, granddaughter born to our crowd. That'll be amazing. And Laura's ready, more ready than I am. Amen. When little Annabelle comes, it's going to be one of those moments again where, God, I thank you that you're the giver of all life and you give us opportunity. So it doesn't say in the book that grandchildren are the pleasure of those with gray hair. Come on now. Lord, I pray that those times of inbreaking, it could be just the sunrise. This morning I was coming in, the birds were singing, the, the wind had stopped. It was beautiful. The grounds were beautiful. It's like, Lord, I, I just thank you that the creation, Romans 1, says you will be without excuse. You will be without excuse because all creation, just look up in the stars. Who do you think put them there? The I am put them there. Those who see the little child born, you hold them in your hand. The breath, how does, how does this happen, God? When I watch my four children born, I, I just like, God, you will be without excuse. Let's finish in Romans 15. A couple minutes before 12. Doing good, right, hon? She tells me, noontime. Excuse Romans 15, verse 13. Romans 15, 13. Paul writes to the church, the church plant at Rome. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me read King James. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and with peace in believing that you may abound in all hope. You may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. I pray. Let's stand. I pray that God, the source of all hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's say that together. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit.